everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casella, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy New Year, since, uh, well, I guess we, we wouldn't have done it to it last week anyway, so Happy New Year to everyone. Hopefully, our everyone's 2022 ends up being uh, a bit better than pretty much everyone's 2020 and 2021, uh, <laughs> both in Syracuse athletics and just general life. Um, happy... As Merry Christmas, as we didn't we didn't have a, uh, an episode uh, last week, um, yeah, and and, and happy uh, happy holidays to everyone else who celebrates. You know the the wide array of celebrations there are in the winter. So hope everyone's having a, a good couple weeks. Yeah, and you know hopefully everyone's staying safe, healthy. I know it's been a, a rough couple weeks in terms of uh, you know COVID transmission and stuff like that. So obviously you know hope everyone's staying safe, and and if you have come down with it with something, whatever it may be. Um, hopefully you're doing well and recovering quickly. Um, just it's, it's, it's weird times and continues to be weird times. And, and we'll leave it at that. Um, I did want to start off today just kind of uh, saying RIP to uh, Greg Robinson, uh, former Syracuse football coach. Um, I know a lot of Syracuse fans probably have a weird relationship uh, with Greg Robinson. Obviously the memes that this site in large part like started with um definitely create that sort of tone at the same time like uh you know just really unfortunate to see somebody um you know pass at 70 uh it seemed like dealing with some aspect of alzheimer's um according to his family it's a really bad way to see somebody who you know what did did contribute a lot to football um at the end of the day um even if we can debate the contributions at Syracuse did contribute a lot to football was successful as a football coach um, throughout his career. So uh, RIP to him, just uh, again, uh, unfortunate to see, uh, you know, anybody pass away, but, you know, worth mentioning here because of his obvious ties to Syracuse. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough. Uh, obviously just like, I think all of us can agree, like no matter what he did as Syracuse's coach and, and his record is very, Obvious, and we all know we all lived it, um, or you know, most of us who are listening to this lived it. Um, that doesn't reflect really on who he was as a person. And I, I can't speak for John from you know, he was the coach my freshman year at SU. Um, and for you know, all the struggles on the field, I never really heard bad things about him off the field, like everyone kind of universally liked him, um, as a person, and and that that's a way more important than what he was as a football coach. Um, but be hopefully we all you know remember that in thinking about uh, you know what, what's pretty you know pretty tragic. Uh, Alzheimer's is terrible. Um, someone passing at seventy is is you know far too young, especially today. Um, so and I and and I know his family was was really active in the Syracuse community and and uh, really enjoyed you know which which had to be a tough thing considering you know the the pretty you know understandable heat that that Greg took as coach because of the record. But it sounds like, despite all that, his family really enjoyed it in, in Central New York and really kind of made that their home. So, um, yeah, uh, just just uh, it, it was it's terrible to see that. And, and really, his what he did as Syracuse coach has like little to do with uh, with who he was as a person. And uh, we hope that his family uh, is doing okay, and and everyone is uh, you know hopefully everyone stays uh, you know respectful and. And all of those things. So never, never good to, to see anyone from that, that, you know, you intertwined with it all pass away, especially far too early like he did. So rest, rest in peace, uh, Red Robinson. I agree there. And yeah, like anything I've seen online today has been pretty, uh, has, been, has been pretty 
measured in terms of you know how they're speaking about him but a lot of people saying you know a lot of what you what you said there that like uh incredibly nice guy immensely positive um you know again like snowball catching fire stuff a little engine could like all that at the time you know fun jokes and all that but it did speak to you know the, the, the sort of optimism that he took to the job and even when you know su did kind of seem a little hapless um as as a gig uh, for him, he still managed to you know bring some some optimism to it. So, uh, RIP to him. Um, talking about the current state of coaching for Syracuse, um, you know we had a little bit of news from Dino Babers this week. It seems that um, SU is not going to be bringing in a new defensive line coach. Um, instead, uh, Chris Ashef will uh, move from linebackers to D line, um, and it seems like it'll be him, uh, Chip West. Um, Nick Monroe, and then obviously um, Tony White uh, filling out the defensive staff. Um, the last coach that will be hired will be a wide receivers coach. Um, I personally just hope that we find somebody, Dan, who can get the most out of the receivers. I feel like in recent years we just haven't. Um, you know, having someone like Tosh Harris, who at least for large stretches of his time at Syracuse was a like look like a future NFL player. Um, to see him like kind of just not used well uh, is definitely a bit of a bummer. Um, and hopefully, like whoever comes in to coach wide receivers next can both do something there, but also you know improve on the recruiting front. And we've talked about some of the recruiting struggles of late. Uh, I know on uh, Monday, no, sorry, Tuesday um, this week, I did kind of post a list of uh, guys we could potentially call based on either connections or just availability right now. Uh, I didn't know if you had a chance to look at that and if there was like anybody that kind of stuck out to you. I mean, I know wide receiver coach search articles are not like the most common thing. And there's not like this like hot list of like these 10 coaches are going to be wide receiver coaches somewhere type articles around, but wanted to see just like, if there's anybody in particular on this list that um, appealed to you, or if there's anybody maybe off list that you would also like kind of thought of. Uh, no, I thought you put another really good list in terms of kind of balancing uh, the kind of connections to Dino, the Syracuse connections. Um, it's obviously very tough to like pinpoint uh, assistant. I mean, obviously we did with like the Virginia guys, like, but that was also like in conference and um, kind of late in the game. So you knew they would kind of be looking for new jobs and, and it worked out. And they were the Hawaii connections with Robert and I uh, a little more tricky with position coaches. Um, I did like the, the Della Xander poll from Notre Dame, obviously, you know, he's experienced at like a really high level, um, you know, their, their passing game has been kind of hit or miss, but, like, not not a disaster by any means. It's, they've been a little more ground-oriented. Um, obviously, Marcus Davis at Hawaii. That Hawaii's, you know, just generally has a ton of upheaval. Um, but, you know, it's it, that's a weird situation because there's so much, like, ridiculous stuff going on uh, with that coaching staff, but they've also, like, not done a bad job on the field. So um, if he's looking to make a jump up and get out of, like, a kind of a crumbling situation with Todd Bram... Um, that might be interesting uh, looking at like Andre Allen from Washington state. Um, obviously they've kind of uh, morphed into more of like a, a run and shoot under um, Rolovich. And then they moved on from him, but uh, Rolovich had a lot of success at Hawaii. They had some really interesting offensive concepts. Um, but also like, I think just in general, having uh, really a new look to this offensive staff um, and I, uh, before he was hired, we kind of addressed that uh, we talked about his really diverse uh background in terms of positions like he coached i believe offensive line and wide receivers at different times in his career so um hopefully that gives that kind of steers us in a direction where we can kind of develop that group and i, I still think there's like um 
you know, there there's potential in this group, even without Taj Harris and even without a lot of production. Like Courtney Jackson had some really nice moments last year. Damian Alford, Anthony Quealy, like these are all guys who um, put together like some moments where you're like, okay, I can I can see this guy as a, a really uh, great contributor. It, I honestly, I mean, it's not a, really a shock. I think the passing portion of this was like the way bigger concern. So um, I do think there's like some serious upside in this passing game, and I'm hoping just like the new look staff in general will kind of get things pointed in the right direction. Yeah, totally. I know I discussed this with some folks in the comments like the other day. Realistically, like this is still a this is Syracuse team that no, we haven't been like going out and getting, you know, four star receivers. But like, when have we ever, uh, or at least when have we re- uh, recently? Like the guys who have succeeded were not four star guys for the most part, or if they were, it was before they got to Syracuse. You know, looking at I think like Edatawa might have been a high three. Uh, I believe Tristan Jackson was a four when he got to uh, Michigan State. But really, realistically. The, the, the problem here is that, like, we have really athletic receivers on the roster. We have fast guys. We have guys who have a ton of height and, and ability to beat defenders downfield. We just don't have the passing scheme to get the ball to them. Um, and, you know, we, we saw kind of in spurts guys like Damian Alford, like when they're actually used well, um, can succeed. I mean, I'd like to see more of somebody like Inumari Hatcher. Uh, Javante Williams another guy who's like 6'5", um, who's, you know, has really like barely, if at all, been used. Um, since he arrived on campus. So, yeah, I, I think any coach that comes in, like I said, recruiting is a big part of it. But but the other part is just finding ways to put these receivers in, in, in great, you know, spots. Because realistically, like, we didn't know Taj Harris could be what he turned into when he first got to Syracuse. We didn't know that about Custis. We didn't know that about, you know, Steve Ishmael um, or Phillips. Um, you know, Amba, when he, when he transferred in from Maryland, he really hadn't done much uh, with the Turks. Like, so it's clear that, that the aspects of Baber's system, you know, can find results. It's just that, unfortunately, like the plot's been lost a little bit um, by just staff struggles and quarterback struggles in particular. So I, I think that whoever comes in definitely needs to figure out a way to use who we have on, on, the, on the current roster to, to find the most success in the passing game. Uh, and, and on that front, like I know another uh, name that I added to the list uh, kind of in the later end when I was compiling this, uh, Alex Bailey, uh, who was at Colorado State. Uh, he spent a lot of time with Ball State. Um, some of the receivers under his watch, uh, Justin Hall, Kevin Maybon, uh, Jordan Williams, all guys who caught 200 or more passes um, at Ball State. And for Syracuse, it's not really like a, a, a number too many guys have ever hit. Um, and, and, and to have him like be on staff for three of those, uh, it's, it's not to say it's the end-all be-all, but um, does show at least some ability there uh, to continually coach up receivers to put up big numbers. Yeah, that's a good pull too. And it's not like I mean, I don't, I don't, not that uh, intimately knowledgeable about Ball State uh, with you know versus any other uh, Mac school, but like Ball State isn't generally like one of those throw it all over the yard programs. So the fact that they were putting uh, putting up such prolific wide receiver numbers is pretty impressive. So yeah, I mean, I thought I thought your list was really strong. Uh, hopefully, we're looking in some of those directions. Um, so far, I mean. For for uh, after a really disappointing season, I think this offseason, while I, I going back to the defensive line, like I still don't totally get uh, getting rid of Reynolds, but like overall, I think the staff upgrades have been pretty good. Like Virginia, um, we talked about it again last time we recorded before the Virginia moves. Um, like they weren't like it sounds like they weren't super bummed about losing Anai based on some calls, but obviously his offense is really prolific this year. And then the quarterback coach, um, whose name is slipping my mind, uh, they were really yes. Um, 
they were really upset about losing him. So I, I think overall, like you can't really complain about what the staff, but the, the staffing moves have been this year. I think they've been, you know, the kind of, the kind of uh, developments that we were hoping to get like power five level established um, familiar with the territory. Like, you know, they kind of check all the boxes. So um, that's been good. Uh, hopefully with this wide receiver coach, we do kind of also add to the, uh, add to the, the recruiting punch because it can't all just be uh, Nick Monroe. Um, and that's been a real struggle. Um, and, and as you know, as you mentioned with the wide receivers, like I would totally still throw, start hitting that transfer market. There are so many guys available. Um, there's a lot been written about how like there are just aren't as many spots as a lot of these guys probably thought. So um, there are certainly like names to be had. Go impress them. Um, I was thinking a lot about Syracuse when I saw kind of Deion Sanders recently say he has this like 40, 40, 20 method for recruiting Jackson state. And the 20 uh, is high school recruits. And obviously it's a much different ball game when a, you were having the recruiting success that you are as Deion Sanders, but also you're uh, an HBCU. But I do think like moving something closer to 50-50 in terms of transfer and high school players when you're a Syracuse like has to at least be uh, in like the back of people's minds in terms of just finding finding guys who you can plug in right away and, and you know, with the promise of playing time and, and get things done. Because, you know, we've seen it. Uh, we've seen it a lot, especially at the wide receiver, wide receiver position. That should be a really, you know, easy selling point for Babers and company. So. Hopefully we're not done on that end. Um, I know Babers has hinted as much, especially because we have this small class. But uh, and there's plenty of guys still out there. It's just you know the the we've been a little quiet in terms of who we're approaching. Although um, just yesterday we had that news about the Florida defensive end, which uh, if we got him, seems like it'd be a real coup. Yeah, I mean I'd love to see that. And realistically, like I know Babers said, you know that they're hitting the, the portal hard. I, I I wouldn't mind seeing them hit it harder, <laughs> <laughs> if only because. Um, you know, national signing is like a month out and we're still about 14, 15 players shy of the, uh, of the 85, um, player cap. So definitely not the sort of thing that like, you know, just gets made up overnight. Um, and, and you can only add so many JUCOs, you can only add so many high school players. Like the, the, the step is in win now mode, but they're, they're, I feel like they're in win now mode, but in a very... Well, A, against the very tough schedule this coming year, and we'll get into that a little bit. Um, but B, like, they're also at least making smart long-term decisions that if if they do pull it off this year, then they're well-situated beyond 2022. And, 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 and I agree with you. I think getting rid of Reynolds and then also not really filling the role. Well, I mean, they did fill it with AHF, and, and obviously, you know, he's had success at SU already. But I, I do think that getting rid of Reynolds, but then decreasing the amount of guys on the defensive staff, um, potentially questionable, but let's see who they bring in, uh, you know, wide receiver coach before we um, necessarily, you know, judge that decision um, in full. I guess like the upshot is that the defense has just been a lot better than the offense the last two years. So, you know, maybe they just feel like they just need that more firepower on the offensive end and the coaching staff, in which case like, you know, then Reynolds is just kind of sacrificed for that. And it's hard to like, it's hard to argue with that notion, even if I thought he was one of our more effective um, position coaches. So, you know, fingers crossed they they find the right like alchemy here because clearly they needed to to overhaul a lot of things. Um, it just stinks that they couldn't figure a way to to keep him and maybe get creative elsewhere. Yeah, I agree there. Um, one more football item before we get to halftime and some basketball in the second half. Uh, one would assume the ACC schedule is coming out in the next couple of weeks. 
I know we have dates for the non-conference games, uh, September 10th at UConn with Purdue game at home on 9-17, 9-24 against Wagner, and then uh, Syracuse is hosting Notre Dame on October 29th. I, assuming none of those dates change, that means that Syracuse is either getting a week one bye, which I know those are like rare at this point, so I'm not banking on that, or they're opening against the conference opponent, which I don't love, and I think is once again a, a, a you know instance of this program kind of setting itself up for uh, a tougher than needed um, you know road ahead. Realistically, this is a team that's going to be you know changing out its it, it aspects of its offensive system. It's going to be implementing uh, several new coaches across the staff. Implementing a lot of new changes is going to be, while a lot of continuity player-wise, they are going to have an entirely new defensive line, realistically. Um, I don't love the idea. I mean, you could potentially slot Wagner in, maybe, into the first week and shift some things around, but in all likelihood, I feel like Syracuse is going to end up opening and maybe even opening on the road um, against an ACC team. And if they do that, they'll once again be, you know, two straight road games uh, to start the year, which... To me, it just seems wildly unnecessary. Um, and in general, you know, we don't have to dig too far into the 2022 schedule. But uh, as, as we've alluded to before, it's, it, it's far from an easy one. Uh, and really, like the year for a surprising breakthrough was probably this past season and not this coming year uh, when you have trips, you know, to, to pit Clemson and Wake Forest. Uh, and, and you also have to host, you know, NC State, who's good, Louisville, who's good enough, Virginia, who could potentially be good again. Florida State, who's probably better than they were last year. Purdue, who, you know, wasn't that far away from being a real Big West, uh, Big Ten West um, contender. So I, I'm already pretty, like, cautious about this coming season because I feel like we could once again see a situation where this team is better and it won't matter. Yeah, I, it, it's going to be a real brutal schedule because, I mean, as you said, you know, the only there, – there really aren't games where you can just, like, pencil in wins. I mean, UConn probably won't be very good, so that's probably a, a, a fair bet. And then Wagner. But other than that, Purdue won nine games this year. They just beat Tennessee in a bowl. Notre Dame, you know, will probably be a top 10 to 15 team and will be very hungry for wins late in the year. They, they open pretty tough with Ohio State. Um, and then as you laid out, like the home away are just not easy next year uh, with Wake, with Clemson, BC, and Pitt all on the road. Um, and then Virginia as the crossover, like I don't really know what to make of them under Tony Elliott, first year head coach. Uh, we just stole a couple of their, their major assistants. Um, there's a chance they'll kind of, you know, bottom out a bit in their first year under a new coach as, as so often happens, but like you certainly can't bet on it. And then uh, you know, Florida State, Louisville are kind of in flux, but they're, they're, they're at no point are they easy wins aside from like that crazy uh aside from 2018 when they both kind of ended up being that um generally speaking they're not like teams that Syracuse can just, can just walk over so um yeah I mean this this is another step I mean this is gonna be a real grind to get to six wins and it as you said it's unfortunate unfortunate it didn't happen this year because as we saw play out they're like way more stuff uh was uh was laid out for Syracuse to pick up that ball eligibility next year um, I mean, there's a chance that they win four games next year and they look a lot better than they did this year on offense. And and then I don't really know how you swear that. Just like, even if like the eye test says like, oh, there was improvement here, then it, I think it becomes really, really tough to sell bringing Babers back. Even if like by a lot of different metrics, you can kind of see things moving forward. And, and, and that just becomes such a such a tough situation. I, I really don't want our 
our program to have to deal with it. Like it would just be so much easier to, to just get to the bowl and then it's then settled or even like if they just bottom out next year, then it's obvious. So um, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of foreseeing like this really brutal grind towards bowl eligibility, maybe not get there and then like really not know what to do about it. Yeah. I mean, and and you and I have obviously been like fairly measured in how we, you know, evaluated the Babers regime, but I think, I don't think any fan, no matter how much you want to believe in Babers at this point, can stomach yet another losing season. Like, it can't happen. Like, it, even if you see the team look better, and, and even if you, you take into account what should be a tougher schedule, you simply just can't sign on for, you know, what would be, what, a sixth losing season in seven tries. I, I, I there's, there's just no way you can sell that to people anymore. It's just, it's, it becomes such a hard, nuanced argument. And in a point where seven years in, like when you have one bowl trip, even a really great bowl trip, um, nuance doesn't really win out. Like, so, and, and it'd be, I would have a hard time even like framing the argument, even if like in my heart of hearts, I felt, yeah, Babers did a much better job this year. And this team was significantly better than it was last year. And they finished four and eight. Like, um, it just, you know, at some point you need to like understand the business of it uh, in terms of like ticket sales and, and casual fan interest and all those things that are so important um, that go beyond just whatever the diehards like us and, and people listening to this podcast on a weekly basis think. Um, and you kind of like, you kind of understand where those decisions are made if you're like threatening to basically have 20,000 people at the dome every week, even if the team is making like sight strides. So hopefully we avoid that situation, but uh but I can totally see it. Like it's completely plausible. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it is what it is. I, I think we'll cross that bridge. Unfortunately, when we get to it, <laughs> hopefully we just start, hopefully, hopefully we start throwing for 500 yards a game every week next week. And then we'll, then it's a much different discussion. <laughs> yeah. Then we don't have to worry about it. <laughs> Gary, get those throws in the summer, man, <laughs> please just every day, get out there. Yeah. Just to just hook up the old tire swing and just, <laughs> Eric Trader seems like an absolute tire swing thrower guy. Oh, like, there's no way he doesn't have one somewhere. Somewhere he lives, or he can fly to one since he since he's a pilot. I forgot about that. Yeah, just just, just undercover undercover narratives of the season. Um, Dan, before we get to basketball, since we'll probably need um, the, the idea of beer at least to talk about the the men's basketball team right now. Oh. Uh, what have you been drinking for the last couple of weeks? I uh, had a pretty strong uh, New York, Connecticut run. Um, I was I was at home with my parents for two weeks. That was their last time we spoke, uh, and I just got back last night. But I had a, a pretty nice nice run of things that I picked up along the way. Um, on the New York tip, I had uh, some Kim Hibiscus Sour Lager from Single Cut, uh, probably their best sour, I think. Um, really, really delicious. Uh, had some, uh, I think, every, actually everything else was Connecticut was New England. Um, had from a brewery I hadn't had before, Back East Brewing, which is in Connecticut somewhere, uh, Susie Greenberg, which is a mango IPA. And like, when I say it's a mango IPA, heavy on the mango, really, really, really strong mango flavor, but it worked like a lot better than I thought it would. It was super drinkable. Um, pretty delicious. I hadn't had anything from them before, so it was a nice surprise. Um, had some G-Bot from New England, probably maybe Connecticut's best IPA up there. It's been, you know, it, uh, Def, certainly in the running. Um, had some blueberry lemon from Two Roads. 
had another new one, uh, Baby Seal Dance Party from Shabine Brewing, another Connecticut brewery I hadn't had before. And uh, yes, I was convinced to buy the cans because uh, they have uh, Baby Seals at Distro, um, but it was pretty good, uh, an IPA. Um, and then I also had some stuff from Maine, uh, which popped up in my uh, bottle shop near my parents' condo, uh, some some lunch and some uh, Woods and Waters, which was a, a delight because obviously Maine is, pr- I, w- I would say, my favorite uh, New England brewery. So um yeah, definitely a nice treat. Very nice. Uh, on my end, looking at the last couple of weeks, uh, from Cellar Maker up in SF, had uh, coffee and cigarettes and Cloudy with a Chance of Dobus. Uh, from Highland Park, had Brave Noise, uh, their Pale Ale. I was had the Party IPA. It was a uh, kind of New Year's-themed IPA that they put out, as well as uh, Timbo Pills, you know, a, a favorite that I usually mention around here. I'm um, also from Society Brewing down in San Diego area, uh, the Coachman uh, Session IPA. And from uh, Rip Brewing, or Rip Beer Company, sorry, uh, Stratocaster, West Coast IPA from them that uh, had a couple times really good. And Noble Pills from Hop Saint, um, which is local brewery. That was pretty enjoyable as well. And also had from Highland Park, uh, Green Chimera was a Saison that was uh, really enjoyable. So Rustic Saison, um, just in general, like, Cool, like even amount of, of funkiness to it. Um, definitely like a, a easier day drinker than, than I kind of figured it was going to be. But wish I had more cans of that because it was a it was a pretty enjoyable one. Very nice. All right. Speaking of, I guess, well, not speaking of very nice things. <laughs> <laughs> Syracuse men's basketball still a thing, still active, very much in peril when it comes to making the uh, NCAA tournament. At this point, I don't think we have to talk about that yet. Um, those listening probably watched the Miami game on Wednesday. We're doing the podcast at the beginning of the Miami game, um, so we're not really going to address it. But, Dan, what do you think Like the most glaring problem for this men's basketball team is so far? Because th- there's definitely a few options to choose from. I know uh, Jim Beheim himself uh, referred to the defense as horrendous. I'm, I'm, it's not great. When, when even Jim is kind of getting on this defense, but I, I don't necessarily know a fix with the current roster makeup. No, I mean, we kind of addressed this issue going in, like just at, seeing who we added to this team and who we lost from this team. Um, you know, it, it really didn't look like a group that was going to thrive in the zone. Now, I don't know that we would know it would be this bad um, where – you know, we're seeing teams that are not great shooting teams get incredible looks. We're seeing people carve it up from the inside. Um, obviously, that Colgate loss didn't age very well. If you go and look how they've done since, um, it is uh, really, really unfortunate um, how things have gone. Uh, honestly, like if, if you're asking me, and I've been kind of floating this uh, pretty consistently for a bit, um, I would heavily consider swapping Benny Williams into the starting lineup for Swat- Cole Swider. There are games where Cole is just not giving us a ton, even as a shooter. Um, and if he's hot, I'm fine bringing him in and, and letting him play a bunch of minutes. But even if Benny is completely raw offensively, which he is, and he, you know, he he's uh, certainly doesn't take like too many shots or anything. It's not like he's he's been super aggressive on that end, but he's you know he's still clearly finding his offensive game. I just think adding the extra athleticism and uh, and just uh, hustle and everything else that he brings out there and just giving him a shot and saying like, let's try to jumpstart things defensively. And, you know, maybe we get him some extra development on offense in the way. And then if like things are just like really awful, you can swap in Swider anyway. But 
I don't know. He's just like the one piece that can match the athleticism of some of these teams that are killing us, especially down the stretch in second halves where we kind of fall apart almost every one of these losses. Um, I would just, I, I would just do whatever you could to jumpstart his development and get him out there. Um, because like there really isn't another piece that, uh, you know, aside from like Jesse's obviously a, a, a nice mismatch for a lot of teams and has played great. Um, but otherwise, like there aren't, there aren't that many other counters we have in terms of, uh, matching the athleticism of some of these foes that we're having just so much trouble with. Even teams that aren't like the most athletic from year to year, like Virginia, like they have the one or two forwards that can dice us up and, and then it, you know, just completely falls apart at the end of the game. And that's what hurts so much about this team is like, they're not out of any of these games. They just, they really, really struggle to finish in those last five minutes, every single, it seems like every time out. So that would be the one thing I would do. Um, obviously, like there's no, no certainty that it would work. Um, but like something needs to happen because the, the current alignment is clearly like not getting it done. Yeah. I mean, unlike previous years, I, I, I think one of the biggest issues is just that teams can really just chuck against us. Um, I mean, you know, over 51% of team shots um, against Syracuse are from three and, you know, Syracuse would normally welcome that uh, when the zone's playing well and it's playing up to, you know, its usual level of success to defend the perimeter. The problem is, when you don't have necessarily like the the, the size of the elite defenders, um, or, or even like just like significantly above average defenders that that the zone usually you know employs, like when you have that, then sure, teams can chuck all day, it's fine. But when teams are hitting you know almost thirty four percent from three against Syracuse, which they are right now, like you're going to suffer the consequences there. And, and and I do think there's just there's too much being put on Syracuse's three-point shooting and, and, and the ability to stay hot from, you know, outside in particular uh, to win games. And, and, and that only works if you can defend to some extent. And, and since Syracuse has struggled so mightily there, um, you know, across the board, that's how you end up in this sort of situation. So I, I, I think crunch time defense is tough. I think that the overall defense in the zone in particular has looked rough. Um, but really, like, like you know, kind of to your point, like, let's tweak something. I mean, th- this team has really kind of leaned heavily on the starters um, all year. Let's try something else. Um, and, and it doesn't mean that it's going to work. Um, but it does mean, it, it, like, it's clear that there's an indication that something is currently not working. So might as well, like, see what else we can do there. And it really stinks because, like, on a player-to-player basis, I'm kind of, like, at least relatively happy with how everyone's played uh, aside from Swider just, you know, has been uh, kind of a struggle on both ends, but he was uh, told to start the year, although it seems like he's heating up and then Benny's just not where we kind of thought he would be. And that's, you know, that is what it is. That's, that's the gamble you make with freshmen, even five stars. Um, he's had a great attitude and like, it seems like there is a very good chance that he'll be back next year. And maybe he takes the leap as a second year, five-star player. We've seen that a number of times. Um, but like everyone else, like Joe has taken giant steps forward. Jesse's, you know, and it looks like an all ACC center buddy. Um, I mean, these last couple of games has started to look like himself and I'm not super worried about him. Um, and then Jimmy, I think has been way better than most of us thought. So like, uh, just, uh, and even Saimir, I think has been a really nice role player. And, and I would actually love to see more of him, especially when Joe isn't shooting the ball well. Um, because he does seem to bring a different element, uh, and a little more steadiness at times on the, to the offense, at least in spurts. Um, so like you say all those things and you're like, Oh, the team's probably pretty good. It's just like they collectively on defense really can't put it together. Uh, when an offense is shooting the ball, well, even like average. And, 
just like something about the the combinations out there just clearly aren't working in crunch time. Um, and I do think like the bench players just need to play more because uh, you know as much as Jim always argues against it, like these dice clearly seem to be burning out at the end of games because they're playing so much. So yeah, it stinks because like it's a likable group. It's it's a fun group when they're playing well and they're in all these games. Um, it just seems like you should be able to to make the pieces fit a little bit better, at least to the point where they're like, you know, beating some of these middling ACC teams since the league is like as bad as it's ever been this year. Um, but they're right in that mix now because of the inability to fill, uh, inability to finish against even like opponents that they should be beating pretty handily. Yeah, it's a thing. Like this is a, a group of like very good individual parts. Um, and, and, and there's aspects on offense that, that, that suggest that they can play well together as a group. But when you have a lack of cohesiveness year to year, as we've seen with, turn, with the roster turnover here, um, and then you add to that, like a lack of cohesiveness on defense in particular, like when the zone is your calling card and, and, and you don't have a cohesive zone, like it does create these problems. I think that, you know, in some respects, like Syracuse could be the beneficiary of a down ACC this year. But in other regards, like it's frustrating to see a group of individual individually talented players, you know, not be able to take advantage uh, of a down ACC to the extent they, they, they should or could. I mean, I think Syracuse's struggles this year, along with many other programs, um, is kind of why the ACC is down because SU, you know, especially of late, has not been able to get above that kind of, you know, middle of the pack area. And now it seems like everyone but Duke is, you know, hanging around that, that, that kind of middle of the pack area. Um, I, I don't necessarily think we need to get into the bigger NCAA tournament conversation yet. I know you and I have talked about, like, what's needed to make it. I think at this point, like, we're already kind of in crunch time, just in terms of, like, what SU needs to do. I think that the resume doesn't look great. I think you've already picked up some, you know, quad two, three, and four losses that you need to find a way to erase. That means, you know, wins on the road against a team like Duke or, or, or what have you. And, like, is probably just too much like that needs to be asked of this team to make the tournament. So I, I, I'd say as a, as a initial goal, like let's see if this team can figure out some things on defense. Let's see if this team can, you know, really just stop teams being able to move the ball so well against them too. Like you said, you know, between the, um, the fact that teams are just chucking from three against them and the fact that teams are moving the ball so well. I mean, they're, you know, dead last in the, in, in the country in terms of assists per field goal made. Um, which is pretty wild that like teams are just able to pass on them at will. And it shows us a complete defensive breakdown. Like I, I I'd love to see even like slight improvements on those two fronts. And then that probably informs some other like larger changes uh, for this team. And I, again, I don't need to see, you know, a 25 win season here and then just like run the table, but it'd be nice to see them be able to learn some things from what hasn't worked so far, make some tweaks um, and at least, you know, make it a little bit more competitive um, in, in these coming weeks um, against really like there, there's a manageable-ish schedule between the Miami game and again, acknowledging that that game's going on as we speak. Um, Wake Forest may or may not be overrated. Pitt is decidedly bad. We've already beaten Florida State this year. Um, so there's definitely winnable games on this schedule. Um, the problem is can Syracuse win enough of those plus enough of the, like, upper echelon games, you know, the Virginia Tech, Duke, North Carolina, of the world. Can we beat enough of those teams, too, to get back into an NCAA tournament conversation? I don't know at this point, but let's just worry about can we find a way to be competitive night to night, improve on defense, 
and turn into a better team rather than a better group of individuals. Yeah, I think you you hit the nail on the head. It's it's for me. It's becoming very hard to see uh, an NCAA tournament bid without a win over Duke or winning the ACC tournament. Like I honestly, I I don't see a reason. I mean, I you know you could say they win all the rest of their games except for the Duke games, and maybe that does it. But that doesn't seem realistic to me just based on their inconsistency. Um, so I think it just for me, I think it comes down to either you you win the ACC tournament and then it's decided for you or you beat Duke at least once you roll up a bunch of wins, otherwise finish with like 12 or 13 conference wins. And then you just hope that the rest of like, not only the ACC, but the rest of college basketball is so kind of weird and, and kind of level that, you know, the Duke win means a lot. And maybe the committee is like afraid to do like a two bit ACC. So they just add in Syracuse or something. Uh, but like in terms of your, your regular, uh, the, the regular way in which you, you make the tournament out of the ACC, this is going to be a, a very strange year. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, you know, you mentioned like the, okay, if you beat everybody, but Duke, like based on what we've seen so far, it seems unlikely. So no, I mean, it's, there's just like, you know, it, it, there's like a, I mean, every game in this league is pretty much a coin flip at this point. So, you know, you can start to do the odds there. They don't look great for, for running the table outside of the Duke games. And the odds don't look great about beating Duke either, but you know, at least we've seen that happen. And we've seen that happen in pretty lopsided Syracuse Duke matchups. So that 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 one's actually you know way more feasible. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at like some of the odds on these games, and other than the Duke games, like there's not most of these games are kind of in the like 35 to like 65 percent like win uh, projection range. It's just yep. like, so. Yeah, even if you win, you know, half of the rest of these games, you know, you're still only looking at about 15, 16 wins. So realistically, like you've got to find a way to to, to change that luck a bit. I I mean, the other problem we talked about this before too, like having BC twice and Pitt twice when, when those. I mean, and, and no comment about what happened versus Pitt last year, but like when you're facing the bottom of the conference so often. Um, you do kind of have to start piling up other wins um, until those programs like get themselves back together, which who knows when that happens. Um, You know, I mean, maybe, maybe there's like some secret, uh, you know, favor here being done to a, done for us because wake seems at least like serviceable for the first time since we joined the league or at least like the second time, I guess, since we joined the league, but like, there's definitely, there's an opportunity here, but it's a very slim the fact that it's this slim of a chance already is like probably pretty disheartening for fans and like uncharted territory. Um, but I think we just kind of have to take game by game and and, and see like 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 if we can if we can roll up four wins in a row here, um, maybe even five going to the Duke game. Then then you have you're having maybe a different conversation. But until we see something like that, it's it, it's it's simply hard to to put sights on anything but a, a potential NIT berth at best here. Yep. I mean, this Miami game would, considering they are like one of the the few bright spots in this league so far, would be a nice start. Obviously, if you were listening to this, you will know whether or not that uh, that came to fruition uh, way better than we do now, um, since it's 10 to 8 and uh, just a couple minutes in the game. But um, yeah, it, it's it's pretty bleak. But I guess like, I guess the, 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 the bright side is that it's been bleak since so early in the season that you're we're just kind of taking it down by game now. It's not like we're like, sweating it out after uh, a nice start or something so it's so really, i mean you get like what was it a couple uh like four years ago or so when we like started like five and oh six and oh and then got smoked by wisconsin and that was kind of like it 
Yeah, and then, then we're like, oh, this team, uh, not what we thought. <laughs> I think that was the last Leiden year, the year we missed the tournament. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I agree with you. I'd rather just kind of know from the jump that uh, <laughs> that this was not going to be um, the best year. I think I think really for Syracuse fans in particular, the, the things that make this tougher are that you have, you have, A, that this is the worst start in 50 years. That's part of it. The, so, so the success that comes with that is part of it. And then also just what we've done with poor starts or poor seasons of late and, and, and the ghost of what could be despite the poor season, um, I, I, I think make this worse um, for this fan base in particular. Yeah, because we have that like back in our, of our minds, like any year could be a year where we make a, a second weekend of third weekend run. Um, really, no matter what happened in the regular season, um, I think it's, it's it, you know, I, I do wonder if it's been kind of like a, obviously I don't want to trade those years in. Those were all fun years and, and you know, the, the accomplishments shouldn't be like completely waved off or anything, but it does kind of seem like there's a potential that it's it's covering up some some really ingrained issues that should be more readily addressed instead of, instead we're just like, oh, well, we made this with 16. So, you know, season was good. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, you know, and not to pull in like other fandoms or whatever, but you know, I was saying I said that for a long time as a New York Giants fan that you know two two surprise Super Bowl wins glossed over a decade of of, of draft failure and free agency failure, and, and and now you look at the state of that franchise and and all that's come to fruition. Yeah, I mean now and then you know Super Bowls are are more difficult to like luck into, so when stuff just moves forward from there, you know, you have the Giants of the last whatever it is, whatever time frame, five years or so, that's like basically the losingest franchise in the, in the NFL, which is crazy to think about because it's like one of the like premier franchises in the NFL. This is what happens when, when you have no idea what you're doing and you just have money and it's fine. <laughs> but yeah, we, we don't have to go into NFL talk. It was more just creating a parallel, at least uh, for me, that like wins gloss over a lot um, and, and, you know, tournament success glosses over a lot. Um, at Syracuse, and, and, and that's a weird role reversal for the program, um, and, and, and it's kind of MO for a long time, and it's funny how quickly all of us, and I include us in that, uh, kind of, you know, assume, assume the new role of like, well, of course we're going to surprise everyone and do this again. And, and obviously the program's proven us right, <laughs> like over and over again. Uh, so it, it, it does become difficult to, to, to stomach something like this, where you're like, yeah, well, now we're towing with the idea of just not making it or even being close to making it. And and really, I, I think maybe we'd feel differently about this, too, if the 2020 tournament had happened, because that group wasn't making the tournament either. No, not unless they kept on, not unless they started rolling through ACC teams, but they probably needed to get to at least the championship uh, to make it. And, like, the UNC win was really fun. Um, but, but the team was bad. Yeah, it wasn't a good team. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think if you... If, if, if we had to evaluate the last five years and include a, a tournament miss there, a tournament miss in 2017, the, you know, blowout against Baylor, like, I think it takes on a different tone than the tone that everyone kind of has about things now. Yeah, because it almost feels like that year didn't happen. So you have, you know... 2018, you have the run to the Sweet 16 and like really almost beat Duke. You 2019, you had you know you made the tournament at least. It wasn't great, but you made it. 2020 was the the gas leak year, so that doesn't count at, at all. Even though it was like pretty, I would say it's like 70 percent going to be a missed tournament. Right. Um, probably that's probably even optimistic. And then last year you have the Sweet 16 run, so like things do look a lot better. I think when you just pretend like 2020 wasn't probably a missed year. Um, 
and the 2019 people don't even like bring up really. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, we're, I think we try to be pretty real reasonable and like, you know, maybe they turn around and I'm all for them just like figuring something out in mid season here. It's just, you know, we don't have a lot of history of Bayheim making these like widespread, uh, roster adjustments mid season, um, in terms of like the rotation or minutes or whatever, like it's happened occasionally. He swapped out starters before, um, it's just the the history is not with us on that happening here. Yeah, I mean, he makes strategic adjustments. He's made actually some really great ones in recent years where I felt like he's yes. spent the second half of seasons making tweaks. But yeah, that those tweaks rarely involve the actual lineup. <laughs> and, and one of the troubling things about this year is like he's made those tweaks. Like we kind of mutated the zone into like the one one three type deal, and that's like had some success a little bit but teams have started to figure that out and ultimately like it comes down to the players are just not we just don't have the athletic wings that we almost always do and also our guards are slower and undersized compared to like vintage Syracuse teams so like the one the one constant in the zone the one guy who would fit in on like the vintage teams is Jesse and he Jesse's been incredible but um you know that's not enough like you so that's where like do we need to see more Simeir do we need to see more Benny do we need to see uh, even more frank, like just because they are closer on defense to like what we envision Syracuse teams being and and they might just provide more of a balance. Like even if that hurts our offense a little bit, I'm willing to at least see what that looks like because right now the situation is not tenable where we're like, we have like a good 10 minutes of offense through the first 50 uh, or a good for, you know, 15 minutes of offense, even through the first 30. And then the last 10 minutes is like a, a total calamity. Yeah, I mean, realistically, you know, if you if you want to go by Ken Palm efficiency ratings, like we're a top twenty offense. I think you can, I think you'd rather be a top thirty five offense, and 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 not be you know a bottom one eighty defense. Yeah, if we were another, if this was like a, a hundred ranked defense again, like we've had a couple of in recent years, I think we'd be in a much better position. It's just it's so much worse, and like you can really see it. Oh yeah, you can see it. I test wise, you can see it with the results. I mean, I we, we've. We've said a lot of the things already that kind of indicate that. But having yeah, having a, right now number twenty ranked uh, efficiency offense wise, um, they're one hundred eighty eighth on defense. So it's with our best defensive center in six years, right? So not, not great. <laughs> not great. Definitely problematic. Uh, we'll see. I guess uh, what what occurs here. Um, Dan, anything else before we uh, we kind of depart today? No, fingers crossed that we uh, continue to hold Miami to like a really poor shooting percentage and win this game. And then this podcast sounds immediately outdated. But, you know, you guys all know what you're getting on these Wednesday nights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, realistically, we're kind of locked into days. So whatever happens, happens on the schedule. Um, I'd be surprised if Miami stays shooting cold, if only because they came in looking pretty good from the field. Uh, and also we've watched all, every Syracuse game this year. Yeah, also that. <laughs> and this looks a lot like all of the rest of them so far. Yeah, I mean, Syracuse fandom is really just Groundhog Day. Uh, anyway, Dan, appreciate the time as always. Yes, thank you for having me. Uh, and hopefully, again, hopefully we all sound really dumb. And, the, the and, you know, if we win, I mean, I'm telling you this way too late. If we beat Miami, just I, I owe you 30 minutes. I'm sorry. <laughs> or however long this back end was. I... Tweet at me, and I will I will pledge like eighteen minutes or whatever the the second half of this podcast was to you. I don't know how I'm going to make that up, but I, I'll find a way. <laughs> well, we need the time stone. There needs to be some sort of <laughs> yes. You have to provide the time stone for me, and then I'll figure out how to use it. I'll Google it. I'll YouTube it, and then you know <laughs> we'll work from there. Sounds like I, I, Andy probably knows. 
So Andy definitely knows. <laughs> All right. Well, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Trainings and After the Podcast. Rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, Megaphone, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, and go orange. Go orange.